Say that podcast for your questions to get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I could really use a good nap. Yeah. You know? Totally. Feel free to do that while Jed's talking. Yeah, that's 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 what I was going to do. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I frequently nap while I'm talking, so I I support the (laughs) trip. Sure. It gives you plausible deniability later on. Remember when you said, nope, I was asleep. Yeah, absolutely. Join us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastor of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Remember being a kid in like a preschool and kindergarten, they had the cot and you would have like the forced nap time? Yes. And if we could about. if we could just put that back in society, please. Yep. I couldn't agree more. All right, enough of the jibber jabber. Wow. Enough of the pleasantries. Yeah. That, it wasn't very pleasant. It Although was whining. The the mat with the nap every day in kindergarten was pretty great. But yeah. enough of that. That's not what matters right now. Okay. What matters is we have an emergency. An emergency? That's right, gentlemen. Do tell. Wow. We have an emergency of rock. Okay. That immediately that does not sound like, like a real emergency. Mining? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like is it a sedentary emergency? No. It's like a, a collapse of uh, in a quarry or something. A volcanic well, emergency. That really like I I see the point on saying an emergency of rock doesn't sound like a real emergency, but like right. a mine collapse would actually for sure be a real emergency. That's true. It's a bit of a conundrum. Yeah. But to be fair, I don't think they'd come on CNN and say, We have an emergency of rock in West Virginia. <laughs> That's that'd be a weird way to phrase that. <laughs> That's right. It really would. Okay, here's what we're dealing with. Brother Adam, super fan, friend of the show, he wrote in to say the following. I was telling a buddy of mine about Say That. Let's stop right there. Nice. Everyone should be telling their buddies about the Say That podcast. Or your enemies, because we're not for everybody. Tell everybody. Let me ask you a question. What you're trying to say is you're saying there's some people who listen to this podcast that don't tell everyone they know? I think that may be true, Glenn. Well... I think those people should feel horrible about That's themselves. Right. Guilt. <laughs> guilt. <laughs> okay. But no guilt for Adam because, quote, I was telling a buddy of mine about say that, and he seems really interested in giving it a listen. Correct. Oh, that'll That's correct. That may last. We'll see. <laughs> I mentioned particularly your latest disdain for lasers in a worship context. True. And he had the most brilliant, all caps and justified, the most brilliant idea ever. He said, if you put lasers in your worship service, you might as well go all the way and name the worship band Def Shepherd. (laughs) That's delightful. Def Shepherd. And like, you have to do like the spandex. That's right. Oh, yeah. And like the the, the mullet type uh, with the hair, you know, with hair. So, gentlemen, I open the floor to the dissection and discussion. Of Deaf wow. Shepherd. Yeah. Well, well, that's fantastic. I believe you you and our, our text thread when you shared with Glenn and I this amazing thing had your own suggestion for the first song. Yes, I, I was suggesting Poor Salvation on Me. That's pretty good. So just just to get us started. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. I, I would rock out to a worship song that was called Poor Salvation on Me. But it's to the tune of Poor Sugar on Me. Exactly so, right. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, that, the legally distinct, slightly altered tune. <laughs> pour some sugar on me. I mean, that song is playing in my head right now. Right, yeah. Clearly. And to be clear, I would pay good money for the full K-Love take, where it's the exact same chords and melody and everything, <laughs> wow. but it's K-Love production and that singing style, and the words are pour salvation on me. Yeah. For a Pat Boone style. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pour salvation on me. That's right. You know, that's that kind right. of just, yeah. 
even that even that might be a little too jazzy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to. It's it's got to be safe for the ears in the back seat. Absolutely, no doubt. Well, since we're talking about kind of, and, and I'm sorry, just I, I want to you? specify. No, not really. I just want to <laughs> specify before we move on. If you have any form of a collection, or 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 just uh, uh, you're just for some reason keeping the uh, trophies of severed ears in your back seat, that's wrong. Yes, that's not what we mean. <laughs> That's not what we mean. I mean, if it, it, I don't care if it's safe for them or not, because they can't hear anything once you take yeah, it off the person. Safety's out the window at that point, right? That you need to seek some psychological counseling, right? So just, wow. just, just on that, you know, totally. It's, it's good. I'm glad disclaimer. We took the time. Important sure. disclaimer. You know, legal department going. just yeah. won't stand for it. Um, well, one of the thoughts that I had, Matt, was that if if you have a day where you know. uh you know, Def Shepherd has been leading worship for a couple of months and stuff. You want to get kind of a new vibe in there and stuff. You could always invite Rejoice Against the Machine to take over the worship nice. service. Nice. Like Very that. good. I like and, it. And every now and then, you really need to spice things up with uh, the Sanctified Pumpkins. And the thing about yes. the <laughs> Sanctified Pumpkins is they really... <laughs> They 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 really bring not a lot of people know this but the they got kind of their vibe because they're also from the same city as uh as Jane's anointing and yes. not a lot of people oh, know that. Uh, yeah. That's very very good. To, to, I and I think we're we're getting our own uh what's the Caleb one Winterfest or Winter Jam or something where it's right. a tour oh, with a bunch of them. That's right. I think we're we're I think we're collecting our own kind of counter programming here. I think it's great. Which is absolutely delightful. So the thing about, you know, you're getting the the Deaf Shepherd together, you got for salvation I mean, but the stage show, I think yeah. as we pointed out here is really where you got to go at it and just the whole in the whole milieu, I think we do need lasers. I think that's good. <laughs> But because uh, that's just where we start. Lasers are apparently just a thing that all churches have now. Right. So you don't really stand out. And I, I'm, I'm not a heavy metal person, really, but there's some ways, there's some subgenres, I believe. Of right. Like, so there's um, crazy Alice Cooper um, set piece pageantry. Sure. Right. Shock rock. Absolutely. There's kind of weirdly medieval and like Tolkien esque. <laughs> like yeah. you go yeah, the Led yeah. Zeppelin yeah. way, which I totally. think is good. Um, there's of course the, um, the, uh, what's the doc or the fake documentary? These go to 11. How do I forget that? Spinal tap with the, you know, you know, the Stonehenge that could have been crushed by dwarves. That's right. Right. So you can go off that. But I think, I think set decoration is really where we need to come in. Totally. Apparently that's as important as the music. Well, you know, one of the things that was big, so if you were going to be a Def Leppard style band in the 80s, you needed to have a drum kit that took up half a soccer field. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just enormous. It's got to like spin or something. Well, that's the next yeah. thing. The drum set has to be moored and anchored where it can rotate, right. go upside down, yeah. move around the stage, and please, at least 37 tom-toms on yeah. that drum kit. <laughs> yeah. It's not a drum solo if he doesn't hit every single one of those toms at least once and you gotta have a giant gong behind you yeah. obviously but here's what i'm saying and again we're talk we're all having fun here right well some of us but i wanted another <laughs> disclaimer yes when we say deaf shepherd yeah we don't mean that someone's ears have been cut off no. and put in the back seat to listen to christian radio no that'd be horrific i don't that's think you understand wrong. what deafness is so that's that's right out yes 
you know, don't. You, you shouldn't know, do that. You should not do that. No. So just disclaimer. But here's what I'm saying, fellas. Uh, uh, I think we've opened up a whole new type of ministry. Okay. You know what I mean? Lay it on me. Well, it's like... Copyright infringement? <laughs> that's right. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you, you, what, what it is is we, what we've seen recently is just take a thing yes. that other people like, yes. <laughs> then you do it even though you don't know what that is or how to do it, <laughs> and you're not doing it well, yes. and you're spending way too much money doing that. Yes. So that you can show it to someone who likes it, where you say, you know how you like this? This is almost like that, only much worse, and we slapped something Christian onto it. Yes. So it's like if I go to your favorite restaurant and I see you order this gourmet meal, and it's like the best meal of all time, and then I go home and I make you a ham sandwich. Yes. Yes. Because there was like ham in that meal that you liked. Yes. And then I I just slather it with, you know, some substance that I know that you like. You like ketchup, so I right. just doused it in ketchup. And then I hand it to you. And then I say, this is all the things that you like. There you go. Right. Plus, I spelled out the name Jesus in ketchup on top of the sandwich. That's, that's Now you have to like it. Now that's all the things that you like. You're welcome. Yes. Uh, sir, I believe you got confused and spelled out Jesus in ketchup on top of my piece of pie. <laughs> do I still have to like it? Oh, I do? This is a very odd restaurant. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, don't do that. There's one. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, as we, as we turn our, our time together towards the wisdom, which is why we're here, y'all. Right. That's it's a, right. It's about the wisdom. We, that's thank my you, main Crusade thing. Guy with acoustic guitar around the fire pit. We need to get to that. <laughs> we need to get to <laughs> The truth just was really strong on that one. Also, I've been that guy. Like, can you bring your guitar? Will people want that? Yeah. I don't think they will. Don't no, just bring the guitar. This G chord is the sound of the end of fun. That's Ring. right. That's right. Why don't we all share what we're guilty about? No. But before we do that, there's one other thing that made 80s rock 80s rock, okay. and that was hair product. Yeah. Mm. I have the hair closer to God. This, <laughs> I would go to church, maybe, on a Sunday morning if every single pastor had a massive blonde perm. Yeah, wow. here's why that's genius. Tell me. I'm just going to say, it's important to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Right? So here's the thing about megachurches, and we bust on them for many, many reasons. Uh, chief amongst them being uh, almost everything about them to us is uh, unbearable. Um, that's partly things they do are bad. That's partly we're just uh, awful, broken people. So, you know, there's a balance there. You decide for yourself. But one of the things I think is undeniable is it's, it's very cookie cutter. It's very samey. You know, you go to the big one in California, you're going to do essentially the same thing. If you go to the big one in Chicago, you're to the big one in Texas, you know. It's the same songs played by the same kind of band, and yeah. it's the same literal tone of voice and cadence of speech. I was telling Jed recently, I was, for reasons that are known only to me, uh, so there was a local church that we were looking to do some work with here in Chicago, who had, not only did they post the sermons on YouTube, but they posted some, like, entire services. Okay. And there was a guy doing the announcements. Okay. 
and he had the a very I'll explain what I mean in a second. A, the mega church cadence, uh-huh. which is where you start off the sentence going pretty quick and then you slow down for maximum effect. Wow. So he started out doing that. And then, you know, it's a thing, it's a choice. He started doing that with sentences that meant something. Right. He's talking about baptism. He's like, you know, and if, you, if you're excited, if you've just given your life to the Lord, if you want to come along with us, we'd love to have you. And baptism, it's just a way to declare to the world that you've got a relationship with Jesus. It's a little overcooked, but you know, right. it's, it's fine. It, yeah. And it gets, but he kind of got lost in the loop. Okay. And he continued that pattern of speech with every other sentence. Right. <laughs> okay. It's kind of, if you want to come along, we have a small group meeting. And if you'd like to sign up for that on Thursdays, there's a clipboard across from the coffee shop. <laughs> Yeah, and he just couldn't get out of it. Yeah, the, but I think you'd if you went to Minnesota, that would be, you'd hear that exact same slowing down as in Alabama. The whole thing it's a right. little it's a little samey. Yeah, differentiating yourself in the marketplace, they've all got tight pants and the swoopy hair. Yeah, if you come out in spandex, yeah, and a giant blonde perm with a red streak down the side, of it, yeah, yeah, you are gonna be different. All right, sign up for small groups. <laughs> That was that was just carrying a flying V guitar. He never plays it, but he just carries that's right. it. Yeah, that's right. Here's what I can't decide because I love every part of this. I can't decide if I'd be happier if I showed up to that church and they were playing, you know, '80s rock style stuff, or if they were playing totally modern worship tunes, but just dressed that way <laughs> right, right, without right. in any way calling attention to it. Both Jesus, exactly right, exactly right. He's he's Spandex. got a triple neck guitar, <laughs> right, right. and he's playing "How Great Is Our God." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Well, I think you do both. It's just they. This church has a very confusing labeling system on what they mean by contemporary and classic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, on that basis, um, I think we can declare a very satisfied and very hopeful to hear more from Def Def Shepherd Emergency Off. Indeed. Now, there's there's really no dignified turn out of Def Shepherd. Um, So I'm just going to say we'd like to tell you about Bridgebox. $8 a month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Get songs, sermons, Bible studies. Uh, In this last month's Bridgebox, we threw in a little bonus. one sheet about some ministry training principles that Glenda's developed over the years. Our topic here in the month of April is how do I get people to listen to my advice? That's a ministry topic you probably heard, a ministry technique you probably heard us talk about on the show called Earning the Right to Be Heard. So it's sermons that Glenda and myself gave at the bridge. It's songs developed by Lee, Jed, some other friends of ours, some Bible study material, a lot of great stuff on some basic stuff like that for only $8 a month, which goes to help us fund our deacons program. Our deacons are um, part-time employees who do amazing stuff on Tuesday night and beyond, getting folks jobs, housing, 12-step programs, connected to churches, all sorts of amazing work that our deacons do. And they are able to do that because the deacons program is 100% funded by your Bridgebox donations. So if you're a Bridgebox subscriber, you're a big part of the amazing stuff we get to do up here in Chicago, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. First question comes into our email address, and it says, So there was a sermon at my recently in my church that did not sit well with me. It was based on James 5, 1-6. The sermon was pretty negative and had a tone of, We should be more generous, we should stop hoarding what we have, we should li- be living below our means, etc. I met with one of my pastors to talk about this sermon. I asked him these questions. He pointed me to 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, and 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, 
He said that these passages showed that there would be rewards for those who use their power to help others and judgment for those Christians who use their power for evil, which I really hope is the exact term he used. That would be amazing. Is that what they are saying? What does this have to do with giving to the church? Now, uh, and we, our second question will, will be related to this one. It came in the same email. There's a lot going on in the situation, so I want to give everything its uh, enough room to breathe. And Jed, why don't you start us off? And there's a, there's a core concept here, yeah. which I'm not sure we would agree with. So how do we go about parsing that out? Yeah. Well, thanks for writing in, and, and we're sorry for, for what you're dealing with. Let's start with something that seems completely unrelated for a second. It will come back to this, I promise. One of the least understood rules of life is that if you can't express something without using jargon, you don't really understand it. Uh-huh. Let me say that again. If you can't express something without using jargon, you don't really understand it. Um, my background happens to be engineering. I actually worked in that for several years. And as I was dealing with and at times supervising other engineers, one of the things that was always clear to me is the more jargon somebody used, the less they knew what they were talking about. Mm. You know, the, the best engineers I knew could express unbelievably technical stuff in very simple, straightforward language that non-technical people could track with. That was, that was the funny thing about it. Well, the same thing applies when we go into the Christian sphere, that um, the more Bible talk somebody injects, the less they really understand what they're talking about and the less that they have a grasp on what they're talking about. Um, properly, a deep uh, abiding knowledge of the Bible should infuse what you're saying. It should not be a substitute for human communication. Um, and one of the things that we run into is, as Christians, I think we get a sense of, well, they've presented me with a Bible argument, therefore I have to have a Bible counterargument, and you don't. Life is not a Bible off where we have competing Bible passages. But it, it, you have to fight Bible with Bible. That's in the Bible. It's not. <laughs> oh, but it, I said Bible three times in that sentence. Therefore, it has to be true. <laughs> By the Austin Powers rule, it holds. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to counter Bible. That's, that's not how this works. And again, the more people quote me the Bible, the more I'm starting to get uh, an itchy sense that they don't have a point and they don't know what they're talking about. And I think we'll find that that's true here. One of the, when I'm working with people in, in all kinds of contexts, one of the challenges I often give them on purpose is say, tell me that again with no jargon. Tell me that again with no Christianese. Mm. Say that in a way that a five-year-old who's never been to right, church that's it. could understand it. Tell me, tell me to it in that language. And that's very, very clarifying, because part of what we find is that so often um, the issues we're dealing with are at the same time much simpler than we think they are, but also much more profound and important than we might think they are. And I have a suspicion that that may be true here. What you're describing is a scenario where people are using guilt to drive giving. That's Feel right. bad, now give. A lot of people do that. If you're new to the Say That podcast, uh, I want to be crystal clear. We don't use guilt. We don't support the use of guilt. We are not about guilt. We were literally mocking it just 15 minutes ago. Yeah, we are, we are not down At with that. At least for those of us in Chicago, our brains can't even process the emotion of guilt anymore. So exactly. it's really kind of lost on us. <laughs> So now the question, leaving all of the unnecessary Bible passages aside for a moment, is it possible that they are using guilt to drive giving, which they're doing? That's yeah. what's going on here. Is it possible that they're doing that because they haven't developed relationships with their people such that their people would want to give out of love and appreciation yes. and yes, shared it purpose? Is. 
If that's what we're dealing with, then that gives us a much, much, much better sense of the problem that we're facing and a sense of how we might move forward. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, this, this is, it'll seem pretty simplistic, but I've, I've never found an exception. People act out of love or out of fear in their yeah, lives. Yeah. Every motivation boils down to one of those two things. If you want people to act out of love, you have to cultivate love. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. You have to cultivate trust. You have to cultivate community. You have to cultivate a sense of togetherness, shared purpose, which is the really the main form of unity that exists in this world. If you haven't cultivated those things, if you haven't cultivated that love, then fear is all there is. That's right. Yeah. You can try and put some polish on it so it doesn't feel as awful. You can try and put a lot of Bible on it so it feels like, hey, I'm not trying to make you afraid. The Bible's trying to make you afraid. <laughs> but the Bible's not trying to make me afraid. The Bible says, do not be afraid like a zillion times. Yeah. We're using fear because that's all we've got. We're using fear because we haven't built better relationships than that. And I think that's the thing that we really need to look at uh, is it, it is worth analyzing the Bible stuff. But in a meta sense, we need to look at what is, what's going on with this church and with this community where we have not built love-based relationships. What's, yeah. what's driving that and what needs to change on that basis? I think that's a very, very sharp read and the perfect place to start on that. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here because I think Jed points out a very important thing. Um, there, there are people in the world and churches in the world where guilt is just, it's their, it's their forcing fastball. It's the first yeah. thing they want to use in any conceivable situation. Um, and that, that's uh, obviously a bad thing. It's its own set of problems. What it seems like maybe we may be dealing with here is people who are using guilt for lack of other tools. And Jed brought up the idea of not being able to uh, pitch love on that. I think there's also the idea that they would love, this church wants people to be motivated and active. And um, the own, a normal way we would do that is by, you know, with giving them things to be excited about and motivated. Um, it seems like we've settled on guilt here, and that's probably a pathology all its own, right, Lee? Yeah, absolutely. The the bummer for for everybody in this situation, not just you as a person sitting in the pew of this church, but for the preacher as well, is that uh, giving to the Lord is a get-to. Um, it is an exciting and a really, really cool part of what it means to be a person who believes in Jesus. And what our preachers need to be doing is our preachers need to be people who are bringing people good news, who are unburdening people from uh, the burdens of normal life, uh, removing burdens from their life, and they need to be opening up to us opportunities and what it means to have the fullness of being a person who believes in Jesus. So what I'm saying is, uh, preacher, tell me how giving is such an awesome opportunity. Tell me a story that gets me excited about the op- uh, about the opportunity that you're about to give me to uh, to to you know to serve the Lord by by giving. Um, fire us up about giving. Uh, present this in such a way that it is it is the thing that we realize we're most excited to do. Um, the The funny thing is is that. <clears throat> If people are afraid to talk about giving, they're afraid to t- to tell people about one of the like one of the most fun parts about this whole deal. Um, a, a way that we are so different from the rest of the world. A way that we have a chance to be a part of uh, of something with people. A way that we get to partner in ministries that we don't get to have our hands and feet and you know in. And that's 
that's our job when we are presenting this stuff to people is is to uh, is is to turn what people assume are have tos into get tos. Um, you know, it's interesting because when I looked at this question, there's parts about it where I'm like, you know, when people make you, um, if if somebody makes you afraid of the idea of of living beneath your means, well, living beneath your means, that's just a wise way to live. You don't want to live above your means, then you're going to run out of means. Um, so we need to be able to present all of these things in a way that that people feel unburdened, a way that people feel excited about the possibilities, in a way that people feel empowered to, uh, to do the thing that the Lord is calling them to do. And, you know, my suggestion for you is, you know... I guess it's just, to me, it's just a bummer for everybody. It's just a miss for everybody. Because if you feel like the thing that I've got to do to get people motivated is I've got to make them feel really bad about who they are. Well, that's not good. But if you could actually get people excited about something, they would they would be pumped to give. And then lo and behold, they would actually give off of that. And then for all of you that are sitting there listening, it would be the same situation. And so my my thing for you is let's look for let's look for the get to in this situation. Let's look for the get to in giving. What is the get to behind even some of these scriptures that seem like a really hard line thing? How do we find the place of the the thing that is exciting and the thing that we really want to get behind in this whole situation? I think that's a really, really sharp way to go about it. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to, to close this out here. And I want to start by, let's, let's read the, the passage from James that was mentioned, because I think that'll help us illuminate maybe a, a little bit of what's going on here. And it's pretty quick. It says, it was James 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Strong start. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The murder came as a surprise there at the end. Yeah. Um, so all that to say, um, as, and I, I, I did a little more back, back and forth. The person wrote this in, and they were the this is a sermon series, as we talked about before on the show. They were doing a thing where they were walking through the book of James. So uh, we can we can give dude credit that he didn't sit down and just pick this this topic. Right. Um, and there's a lot going on in that in that sermon. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of social justice issues, a lot of economic issues, a lot of big stuff. And uh, bless him, I listen to the sermon. Our man really, to use the parlance of the of the uh, profession through a clunker. Yeah. Now, but there's a difference between this was a, a, t- as, as Lee was pointing out, a tough passage of scripture to parse. There's mm-hmm. some stuff I yeah. think applies to the people here and just, we've all had our days. We just didn't get all of it. That's right. So how do we start dealing with the difference between, okay, sermon was bad. Yeah. And oh dear listener, was it bad? Yeah. But that, and there is a deeper problem going on here. Well, yeah, I think it, it is in the response. I mean, early on in my career, it was a fairly regular feature that someone would come up to me and say, you said this, but that was confusing. I'm not sure. I'm thinking that you, you it sounded like you were trying to say this when I think you were really meaning this other thing. And then they were right. I was, you know. I no joke. I had a guy do that to me at our jail chapel service today. Okay, just well there you go. Did sermon to say, 
But but doesn't the Bible say this about that? Say, yes, I see why we're confused. We will now redirect and deal yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just the nature of communication is, you know, it, you're trying to explain stuff. Sometimes you just don't explain it very well, and you have to sort of go back and, you know, explain that better. Especially when you're putting together a sermon of, you know, tying points together and this will lead to yeah, that. That's right. You're making some precept, you're making some presumptions on your own end of, Okay, I'll say this, which they will get this from, and then I yeah. can build on that. And it can fall apart pretty quickly. That's right. So, you know, that happens. So you're you're looking for a response to be, I, I can see why you're confused. Let me let me explain a little better. Um, there's another thing going on here, which is just in terms of the theology of this, if the person who's preaching this to you is part of a very large membership church, the uh, the the Bible verse that talks about the wealthy pertains to the church, yeah, not to the person sitting in the pews. So uh, there's that. I don't, and this has to be said. I don't know a actually. I I know maybe one or two large membership churches that spend money in a way that is is good and admirable. Uh, the other ninety nine point nine percent. Spend money in a way that is evil. It's not just irresponsible; it's just pure evil. So, I have problems with the idea of a person in charge of that then criticizing people in the pews. Also, if you're in a large membership church, they need a lot of money to keep that going because they're spending right. it like a drunken sailor. So, lasers aren't free. Uh, but let's circle back to the point that the the that Matt is trying to really steer us onto. Because here's the thing: if you're a pastor of a fairly large sized church, let's say, you never talk to a person like a person. Yes, you talk to groups of people, but you don't talk to just a person about what's going on. Because you're a skilled communicator. Yeah, that's right. Here's the thing. Um, the work that we do, the reason why you listen to this podcast and you're hearing a different tone, a different vibe, we're coming in on a different frequency, is because almost all of what we do is face-to-face conversations with people about their faith and their struggles and their, their life and all that. Here's why that's different. is If I say to someone, let me now talk about to you about how you spend your money, the first thing that they're going to do is move themselves back about two inches and give you a sideways glance like, <laughs> excuse me? You're right. And that would indicate, I probably need to go a little easy here. Yep. And yep. then you say something, maybe you say something that's not worded very well and could really create the wrong impression, and you will, in a conversation with a person, you'll see that on their face, yep. and you'll realize, oh, no. That was not the way to approach that. that. I, you know, and, and then naturally, you'd say, oh, well, look, I, I can see by your expression you, you think I mean this other thing. I don't, I don't mean it that way. I mean it this way, and so on and so forth. So having more of your ministry be face-to-face, it just eliminates a lot of these miscommunications, a lot of this uh, stuff you would just never say to a person. But for some reason, you could stand up in front of a large group of people and say the most just just off stuff <laughs> and they'll stand there and just sit and nod and no one's you know mm. i'm not gonna say anything and the person next to me doesn't say anything so that's just how that goes and those guys feel like oh well this is magic because you know everybody received it pretty darn well so 
we're getting to sort of a, a bad feedback loop that these guys uh, unfortunately get uh, uh, sort of caught up in. One last little thing, and I, I, I want to make this really, really important. I agree with what these fellows are saying. It's about finding the joy, yep. like tapping into that love, as, as, as Jeb was saying. I really love that stuff. Tapping into the, you know, the, the Bible does say, you know, we're supposed to be cheerful givers. And the idea that this would energize you, excite you, you feel good about it. We raise money exactly the same way the churches raise money. We, we talk to people and compel them and ask them to support what we're doing. You know, we would. Ne- I would be horrified if somebody did that in a guilt-ridden sort of way, or out of a fear of yeah. you know whatever. So that's. I think that's that's important for people to get their 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 minds around. But it's it's also important to recognize if I'm talking to somebody about what the Bible says about money and what they should do in terms of giving. It is super important, whether that's a, a mega church person, whether it's a local small church person, whether that's somebody you're watching on TV or YouTube or any of that, whoever that person is, it's super important that that person specifies, when I'm talking about giving, I don't mean just to this church. Right. Yep. If it's giving, if you, if you have a relative that needs help, give and help that relative. If it's uh, if all you have is time and you don't have any money, you can give your time, and we'd love for your help to do things with the Vacation Bible School and Teach a Sunday School class. That you're talking about giving in the broadest possible general sense, and whatever way that God's calling you to do that, we Amen. feel good about that. We have your back. If you don't state that, you are way off in the really dangerous territory. And really good pastors with really good intentions can forget to say that, and it's really, really wrong. So I think we have to keep those kinds of uh, signposts in mind when we're hearing stuff about this. I think that's really fantastic and a great way place to leave that off. We'll move to our next question, which is in conjunction with this one. It's And I'm going to start this off by reading a verse that they, uh, they um, indicate on this. This is a follow-up of that conversation. So I'm going to start reading in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So with that in mind, we pick up uh, with this conversation. The person heard the sermon, went back to talk to their pastor and says, they quoted that 1 Corinthians 3 chapter to them, said, my pastor said these people, referring to the rich there, would be saved, but that it wouldn't look good for these guys. He will be saved only as one escaping through the flames. Sounds kind of scary. You guys are always saying that Jesus came to set us free. This doesn't feel like freedom to me. I can't earn my way to heaven, but if I don't use my gifts for God's kingdom, I'll disappoint Jesus and be filled with regret in eternity. So I'm free, but not really. Why do pastors use the phrase, you will be held accountable to try to get people to change? <laughs> a very fine question. And uh, we have a pastoral representative here on the show. So I'll go to, to Lee first. So again, Lee, I think we can, if you want to give the, the person that uh, was talking to our, our friend here, 
the all the credit in the world, we can say that they may have just suffered some uh, poor exegesis. Yeah. Um, but let's let me let's start with looking at what that verse actually means because it does sound a little spooky. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, one of the things that we we do have to face is the fact that there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus and a lot of people who follow Jesus. And there's there are folks whose lives have been filled with uh, serving him, giving to him and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of folks who, you know, they they believed in Jesus and, you know, and then they <laughs> they they've kind of lived their life out and then they go to be with him. One of the things that's that that we can say is if a person has um if if a person has believed in Jesus all their sin has been forgiven they have the righteousness of Christ and they're going to go to heaven and be with him forever that's not something that you need to scare me about that's not something that you need to hold over my head and say well there are levels um there are levels and you're going to be in the sucky level and you're going to be in the the, the level that's the, the name of the neighborhood. The sign over the neighborhood is disappointing Jesus. That was the thing that really <laughs> stuck out to me in this person's question. Um, you know, please turn left at this street, the street of regret in heaven. And then that's where you get into the neighborhood of disappointing Jesus. And you know what you did, kind of a thing. And it's like, dude, if I'm if I am saved, I am saved. If I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to JV heaven or anything like that. the the thing The thing for me on this is is that when and I, I don't know, I kind of go back to something Glenn said in in his answer from the last question, and that is when he was talking about the kind of work that we do, the kind of work that we do, where, which is it's mostly one-on-one conversations. It takes a, it's the kind of work that takes a long time. It's the kind of ta- the kind of work that works in relationships over a long, long period of time. And that's called discipleship. There's a gigantic difference between being a communicator over thousands of people and being somebody that's involved in actual discipleship. And the thing that I can tell you as somebody that has been doing discipleship for a long, long time is that you have to be a person who knows um, how to have patience with people, and you have to be a person who knows how to be honest about your own stuff. You have to be a person who knows how to handle um, people's honest and real selves and real lives and stuff like that. And when you have uh, pastors who don't know anything about discipleship, the reason that they use uh, fear and guilt to motivate people is that they don't know how to encourage people. Um, When people scare you, it's because um, they lead you by fear because they don't know how to lead you by example. If a person doesn't have any experience in the way uh, actual change takes place over in a person's life, which is, by the way, it's slow, it's not instantaneous, it's not irrevocable, and it's not miraculous. Um, when a person has discipleship experience, they know that change happens in people's lives slowly, one step at a time, with a lot of patience, a lot of understanding, a lot of reworking strategies and trajectories and all that kind of a stuff. And what you want is you want to be led by people who understand um, what it means to be honest, what it means to be humble, what it means to be patient, what it means to be encouraging and gentle. Somebody that doesn't lean on fear or triumphal miracle to get things changed. Um, When we think about heaven, 
if somebody's telling me about heaven and at the same time they want me to be scared, then I'm not hearing a message that's setting me free or building me up. Whereas Jesus said, anyone who hears my words and believe him who sent me has everlasting life, will not be judged, but is already crossed over from death to life. And that's important. We don't want to have a JV version of all that God has in store for us. And we, and we want to recognize that change happens in everybody's life slowly, patiently, over a long period of time, step at a time. Amen. A really, really sharp place to take that. And Glenn, I'd love to get you here. Um, I think there's an, a very good question our friend ends with here about the phrase, uh, people will be held accountable. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, heaven. So that's a weird uh, caveat yeah. in there. And you mentioned in your answer to the last question that we may have a case of someone who's in leadership applying a thing that's specifically to people, aimed for people in leadership, to everyone else. Right. And this accountability thing may be another step in that direction, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, as you're you're hinting at there, the idea of regret in heaven is a little bit, uh, you know, I I can make the case that in heaven you would know what you did and did not do in your previous life, and that you would feel a form of regret over the things that you did not the good things you could have done that you didn't do i could i could see that but the the other thing i think you would have is perspective on why you didn't do it yeah uh so that that's the thing about uh, being known even as you are fully known you right. when you that's, get to heaven yeah. you'll right. you'll have perspective on it also you'd be in paradise so, so that's, that's nice. That's pretty good. You know, you're probably probably not that bummed out. I mean, trying to convince me I'm going to be depressed for eternity because of what I didn't do. You know dude, what you did, that, Glenn. Yeah. If <laughs> only you'd coughed up 50 more bucks for the building fund. Yeah, that's, you know, you're, 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 that's a, that's a no sale there, my man. Um, so there's that. Uh, there, there's also, here's another thing. Um, part of what gives, uh, you know, pastors or leaders a permission to talk in these ways is they say, as these other fellows are hinting at, they say, it's in the Bible. I'm boldly proclaiming it. And if you don't like it, well, what can I do about that? Absolutely. Maybe you just love the darkness. Yeah, I can't but water... The band? Because they're great. <laughs> I can't water this down just for you because you can't stand the amazing truths that are in the Bible. Okay, here's the thing about that. What you have not done is boldly proclaim the truth. And you, you, what you, if you're setting out to be tough and assertive with this, you've missed it by a million miles. The least tough thing in the world is inviting someone to feel crappy about themselves. Yeah, that that's not bold or courageous. I that's that's the that's pure weakness, and it's what you do when you're new and you don't know what you're doing, and you're just yeah, desperate. You're just bless. clutching at straws and. Yeah. You're just trying to figure this out. Here's what. Here's what. Uh, look, I can I can preach this same sermon twice as bold. I yeah, you know, I can stand up in front of a room full of uh, suburban Christians and say, "You guys got money and you're miserable. Look yep. at you. Look at your faces. You're miserable. You. This is what you do. You wake up every day. You got the money. You got the job. You got the thing. Got the car. Got the house." You wake up every day, you look yourself in the mirror, and here's what you say to yourself, and I dare you to say I'm a liar. You look at yourself and you say, is this all there is? 
<laughs> and and here's the thing. The answer to that question is yes. That's all there is on the path that you're on. This you found all the joy there is to find on having a little bit of money and having a little nice little job and having a nice little house. If that isn't fully switching you on, recognize you aren't going to get to a place where that's really going to kick in later. <laughs> now, that's boldly proclaiming the actual truth yeah. 10 times bolder than what he said. But see, the point that you would turn off of that is, let me tell you what God offers instead, which is joy, which is fulfillment, which is purpose, which is a way of participating in giving, not hoarding these things. Yeah. It's it's in the it's in the, the the absolute exhilaration of transforming other people's lives through giving. Yeah. So you that's if if you want to preach it hard, so to speak, that's the way that you do that. So he's he, he's missed that. Uh, that's that's not what's going on. This isn't a bold declaration. This is this is still a, a, a weakness kind of thing. And I don't mean that in an uncharitable way. Again, when you're new and you're unexperienced, those are the kind of things that you might be prone to do. Um, also, last little point uh, off of off of Matt's question there. Here's the thing: uh, it, everyone will be held to account uh, for everything. And here's another thing: I, I'd like you to just meditate on. Everybody knows that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know you're going to face the throne of judgment. You know that. Everybody knows that. If you're a Christian, you say, I'm going to face the throne of judgment. Here's the other thing. You know it's not going to go well. <laughs> you know that. You act like, oh, no, I live a good life. I pay my taxes. No, you don't believe a word of it. I mean, I don't believe it. There's no chance of me believing that. Yeah. But you don't believe it either. You know, I'm not buying it just because you mouth the words to me. You don't believe that. Are you saying it's almost like you need a savior? That's right. Here's the thing. We all think. We that that that's going to be a rough day, and we all hope we get away with it. <laughs> Everybody on the planet, I don't care who you are. So let you know the the idea of I'm going to walk in a room and I say you're going to be held to account, so you better behave yourself. That's right out. The, the, that person's already contemplated. I am going to be held account for this, and I'm going to do it anyway. And that's my whole life, by the way. And everyone else's that's listening to this podcast. You don't live your life like you're going to be held to account for anything. For heaven's sake, you'd never screw up. You, you'd never be selfish. You, you know, whatever it is. The, the, we're all walking around in this dream of, no, I think I'll probably skate. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'll worry about that when it happens. That's what we're all thinking. So you can't push that button as a way of motivating people because they've already become so inured to that, so overwhelmed with the worry about it that they've switched it off or they're in denial about it, whatever else it is. Yeah. It's, it, you can't get that more negativity as a way of getting them to change that channel. You have to find a positive way out of that. Absolutely right. Joe, I'd love to get you to close this out here. There's a, again, we're, we're loath on this show to, to go too deep into the, the motivation and the inner mind of people we don't know. Sure. We've also seen a lot of stuff over the years, seen particularly things, a lot of man. church stuff. I've seen some things. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, so I think there's a, 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 a chicken or the egg thing here with, did you come across a Bible passage that you just felt would really apply to this situation? Or did you start with what you felt like you had to say to this person and then go combing through the Bible? Yep. And uh, we need to, uh, that is something worth looking at as we evaluate what's going on here, right? 
It sure is. Uh, I can tell you for me, just as a dude, when somebody says, Bible says X, therefore you got to do Y, my immediate answer is nope. Nuh-uh. Right. Nah, I'm not feeling I don't think so. There's yeah. a lot of stuff in there I'm not doing. Yeah. Justified freely by his grace. I don't have to do any of it. <laughs> so uh, there is, uh, actually, I'm glad, uh, I appreciate the snark in this case because those are both really useful ideas. So there is all kinds of stuff in there that it definitely says that I'm not doing. Right. And I am justified freely by his grace. So right. that's the whole, that's actually literally the religion that we're on here. And those are both really good points. But they, there's also a third point, which is the Bible can be made to say anything. Sure. The Bible's an enormous book right. written over a huge period of time by a bunch of different people who, given what the known world was at that time, spread all over the place with vastly different life experiences. There's a ton of different kinds of books and writings and literature in there. The fact that the Bible says something doesn't mean it's an instruction to me as a person or that your interpretation of it has anything to do with my life. The Bible has been used to justify the worst crap in the history of the world. Well, the devil right. did actually quote the Bible to Jesus. The, Bi the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus to try and get him to sin. Right. Sure. Here's a phrase that's in the Bible. Commit adultery. Yes. Right. That's technically in there. I'm technically quoting the Bible accurately. Yeah. It, the, the word don't comes before it, but yeah, still. Yeah, I, I zoomed know, in. It's ne out of context slightly. Never you mind. The Bible, think of an awful thing in human history. Here's what you need to know. The Bible has been used to justify that awful thing. Right. It, it, we can wait. You can any awful thing you can imagine. Someone has used something in the Bible to justify that it's, awful it's thing. Been it's been misused. It's been misused. Yeah. But someone has gone through the Bible and said, "Here's a passage. Therefore, this awful, awful thing is just right." Yeah. That has happened. That's happened so many times we can't even count them. So here's what that means: the idea of the Bible says X, so you got to do Y. No. Right. No. We need a different path. Here's, here's the different path. You've heard us talk before about the value of a Bible commentary. And man, is that a great tool. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Again, the one that we really want to recommend to you is one written by a fellow named William Barclay, who's a great, great student of the Bible. Uh, there's an app that you can get uh, that I bet Matt is pulling up on his phone even now to tell yes, us. Yes, if you search the name William Barclay, William, normal spelling, Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y, you can get the Study Bible app free in iOS, and I'm pretty sure Android, too. There you go. William Barclay, great dude, great stuff. Also, if you want to go the full nerd, if you go to, to Bible Hub, also the same website as Bible.cc, uh, they have a ton of classic commentaries on there that are free of charge. You can get them on, on any verse, any passage. It's great stuff. It's a great resource. We recommend it. There's one other kind of commentary, which is super useful, and it's the best commentary. The best commentary is the rest of the Bible. Thank you. There is no greater commentary on the Bible than the rest of the Bible. Yeah, right. And context is how we keep from getting into this awful thing called heresy. Yeah. Heresy is what happens when we come up with an idea and then we try to find something in the Bible to support it. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's how we get to heresy. Yeah. That's a very dangerous thing. So here's what we do. We say, okay, I hear you, Chet. That's an interesting thing you've put forth. Does this jibe with everything else the Bible definitely right. for sure says? Yeah. Because here's like the, being a cheerful giver. Like being a cheerful giver. I mean, you've come up, you're presenting an interesting novel idea about giving, but it massively flies in the face of the idea that God loves a cheerful giver, which is super clear 
and super straightforward. You found a passage that's kind of cloudy, that's kind of car- kind of hard to read, kind of hard to know what's going on, and the interpretation you're giving me massively flies in the face of a bunch of other things in the Bible that are super clear and straightforward. Here's right. what we want to be clear on, because this nonsense gets done a lot in church. God does not save you reluctantly. God does not pardon your sins against his will. God does not love you because he has to. God loves you because he adores you. God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he made you. You're the apple of his eye. He's crazy about you. He's madly in love with you. He'd do anything to have you. He has uh, gone to the ends of the earth, literally gone through hell so that he could be united with you. Yes, he has a plan for how he wants to live your life. You're currently getting an F minus minus at that, and so am I. That's why right. we need a savior. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point of this faith. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. See what you're doing to Jed right now? You're killing Jed. The idea is not that God forgives you and now you better get it all right from now on. That's right. a different religion. I don't even know what that is. It's pretty right. much all the other ones. It's all the other ones. <laughs> God loves you right now, today, exactly as you are. God is not impatient with you. That's God right. is not in a hurry with you. God is gentle with you. Right. Yes, God has a plan for how you use your money, how you use all of your resources. I think God is probably, I think God, in a sense, probably has much higher expectations of what we could do with the resources you've been given, money included, than the most legalistic pastor you could ever find. But his idea of how we take the journey to get there, how we get to the point of using those resources, couldn't be more different than that legalistic pastor. The best commentary on the Bible is the rest of the Bible, and the rest of the Bible is clear. God loves you, he likes you, he accepts you, he embraces you, and he has a plan for your life and your gifts and your resources that we're going to take one step and one day at a time. Absolutely, that is all fantastic stuff from all these guys. We'll move on to our final question. It comes in to UncleGlenn.com. It's a blog. It's very popular. Jed doesn't have any questions about the blog. UncleGlenn.com. I celebrate your blog. Do you know? You know what I really do? I think it's great. Okay. A face turned on the blog. Do you you think it's great or do you think it's popular? Both. (laughs) Because I don't know if you know this. If it's popular, it has to be great. (laughs) That is in no way true. (laughs) This question comes in to megablogunkaglen.com. It says, long story short, I grew up under a heavy influence of legalism. As an adult, it's been such a battle to escape it when I think I'll be fighting for my entire life. I currently attend a church pastored by someone who struggles with anxiety and depression. Those struggles don't scare me in and of themselves, but it made me curious, then feel a little disillusioned by some pastors. Everybody sins. Everybody has junk in their closet. How do I know if a pastor is safe to follow? And Glenn, you answered this in the blog. I want you to start us off. Well, yeah, it's one of these things. Uh, it's a great question because... Uh, it's one of those things where you you can't make a cut and dried statement about it. There's there's a lot of nuance to this, so it's worth digging into that. First and foremost, uh, someone being honest about their struggles from the pulpit is great. I like that. That's yeah. that's good stuff. I, I I wish there was more of that. So uh, and, and the fact that his struggle happens to be you know anxiety and depression is no different from whatever other kind of struggles there are. I mean, struggles are struggles. So that any, any struggle will take you out if you don't deal with it. So uh, we, we, we don't want to try to figure out which uh, struggles we should be prejudiced against or something like that or 
which are the okay ones and which ones are the bad ones. Struggles are struggles. So, so on on that point, uh, I I think that's that's fine. Uh, but I think the key thing is uh, seeing that pastor working on that. Yeah. One of the key things that I uh, try to to set forth in 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 leadership is always having an attitude of never asking other people to do something I wouldn't do for myself. And that if I'm not yeah. willing to to do the thing that I'm telling you about, then I can't really tell you about it. So uh and and there are times where I need to tell someone about something I actually do struggle with. If I if I if I'm talking to somebody about overworking. I know I can tend to do that quite a little bit. So I will specify, I'm now going to tell you about overworking. I know these things to be true. Most of how I know them to be true is I get them wrong. And I know the right thing I should do. I'm now going to tell you the right thing I should do, but I am not 100% doing that just so you know, but you should definitely do it. And I'm going to try and do it now that I'm telling you and I'm feeling convicted. You know, So, uh, so that kind of honesty is fine. But it's also, uh, you know, people need to see you making progress on that. Uh, the, you know, the, if you're if you're open about that, that's not a free pass to just do it. And then that's my affliction, and you can't say anything about it. You know, that's that that that's not what's going on there. Uh, people need to see transformation in you. They need to see growth. They need to see that what you're struggling with today is something you're moving forward on, and and it's a different story down the road. Even if that's a very small incremental change, they need to see that effort being put and that you're being serious about it and that you're working on it. People who uh, work for me can ask me at any given time what I'm working on. They do. And I tell them I'm happy to tell them uh, because I I want that to be uh, understood what my strengths and weaknesses are, but also that, that, uh, you know, that I'm where I'm applying effort and how that looks. Um, I think it's important for you to ask yourself, are you getting fed where you're at? That's much Uh more important. Uh, And in terms of you being burnt in the past, is he earning your trust and is he earning your respect? Uh, If he's doing that by, and, and, and let me maybe specify how he would do that by being engaged in your life in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. Now in, in different churches, you might, uh, Say, for example, I have uh, struggles uh, that pertain to my life as a woman, so having a woman do that key discipleship might be more important for me, and the, the senior pastor might be a man, and that, so that might be a thing where I'm more close to this uh, gal who's in leadership as opposed to the senior pastor, that sort of thing. Uh, so that part, that, all that part is fine, but is he involved? Is he caring? Is he engaged? Is he... Uh, showing you that that he cares in that sense, specifically on this point of getting you fed on on what you're what you're doing. We've been talking about the in this podcast uh, about manipulation, and that's what legalism is. That's what mm-hmm. it's about. Is it's uh, it it it's manipulating people rather than appealing to to love, as we were talking about before. Here's the thing: that's weakness. That's spiritual immaturity. Yep. Legalism is a spiritually immature thing. It's a lack of mature understanding of what the gospel is, how it works, uh, what what how God sees you, all those things that Jed was bursting a blood vessel about on the last question. 
and we're thankful for it. Sure, absolutely happy he, to do it. He 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 burst a blood vessel for all of you. Um, but uh, but here's here's the point I'm trying to make about this. I think your guard should be up on on manipulation, whether that's a specifically legalistic thing or not. I if if I see or hear a manipulation in a church where I'm going, I'm looking for another church or I'm looking for another situation. I can I can be understanding about this was maybe one bad sermon. I can be understanding about maybe this guy is just going through a lot of stress with something and that just came out in this sermon. I I can I I think, you know, especially if somebody's doing really well and it's just one rough week. I I don't see any reason why you can't be understanding about that. But if you're seeing a pattern of any kind of manipulation, whether it goes in a legalistic direction or not, that's something that you can be on the lookout and say, ah, now, now I, I'm, I can feel justified in having a displeasure with what's going on. But if you have somebody who's imperfect and honest about that, is not making excuses, is, is working on that and inviting you to work on your thing, and let's, let's do that together and let's be motivated on that, I think that's great and you ought to feel great about it. Absolutely right. I think that's really fantastic stuff. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here um, to get this core question of what are some things we can see from a pastor that lets us know um, that this is someone who is, is trustworthy in this way when we've been burned before. I think there's some other good things to look at here um, based on, as Glenn is putting it, your relationship with them yeah. versus the relationships they have with other people in the church. Yeah. And also wh- the way other people in the church deal with that. You know, if every word you ever hear about pastors, isn't pastor amazing? Here are the, here are the speaking gigs pastor did, and he was such a blessing. And, oh, you didn't like the sermon? I guess it's, you don't get how cool pastor is. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> That's all a little much. You do kind of want someone, part of that vulnerability is that, that sh- being able to be a person, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like the way you said that at the end, being able to be a real person. Um, the church where I grew up as a, as a kid coming up in, in church, I never heard the pastors that we had, we kind of had a revolving cast. I never heard any of those pastors ever talk about their own sin in anything other than like a theoretical sense. Now, our sin was always pretty clear, um, but sin was always, for, for those dudes, was always a theoretical thing. Struggles were theory. Um, and And... So I really like what Glenn says about this honesty piece. That's something that I was always looking for in people. I I found myself looking for that. Uh, I, I found myself looking for that in my parents. Never found it. I found myself looking for that in my friends. And those are the people that that I've really, really become close with in my life. Are people that are honest about their own struggles. And I'll tell you another thing. And this is for some reason is rare in in uh, adults of a certain generation, I would be looking for a pastor who is comfortable apologizing, um, comfortable yeah. being wrong about stuff and asking for people's forgiveness. Um, when I'm watching a pastor, and this is exactly kind of what Matt was asking about, you know, you want to have somebody that's that's not just this high and mighty figure that's above everybody that everybody just has to pour up, you know, tons of respect or whatever da 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 to, but this is a person who is an actual part of our congregation, a part of the church family, a part of the family of God. As a result of that, 
if this is a real person, they're going to they're going to screw up just in the relationships of the church sometimes. They're going to have to say I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I would love to to see a person who knows how to do that. The other thing that I would be looking for is um who are the pastor's friends? Are there people in his real life in the church? Do they see this person regularly? Or is the pastor always talking about his friends from like his seminary days? And his friends live in a different city, and his friends are shadowy figures we never see. Um, the sad thing is that sometimes pastors are loners, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes pastors don't have any friends. They get together with other pastors, and they talk shop about ministry and stuff, but they are loners in relationships. I may not expect to be my pastor's best friend. I think it's right for Glenn to say, you know, you, you do want... At a certain place, you want the pastoral staff and your church to be figuring out what it takes to meet your individual needs. Um, I may not expect to be my pastor's best friend, but I want to know my pastor has them. I want to know he has friends that he chills with, that he hangs out with. And I want to see those relationships, maybe from afar, but I want to see that those relationships exist. Because as Matt says, I want to know that this person is a real person. I want to be able to trust that it's not a figure up on high somewhere, but a person who gets stuff wrong, a person who has to apologize, a person who has uh, difficult conversations, like every other adult in the world who, as Jed said in the earlier question, needs a savior and is a person. Those are the kinds of things I would be looking for. It's a really great point. And Jed, I'd love to you close this out by looking at another aspect of where uh, Glenn started soft, which is you want someone who is honest about their struggles? Yes. Yep. Um, we don't need 15 minutes of every 30-minute sermon to be weird overshare time with Thank Pastor you. Ricky on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, honest is honest, but then there's creepy. So let's let's keep it on that side. Um, but there's this other aspect of, of forward momentum, of addressing those issues. Yeah. It can, I think it can be easy for people to um, performatively check that honesty box because they're talking about the same problem they've been talking about for the last 10 years. Yeah. And every sermon holds the thing of, I was super, you know, the, you mentioned anxiety and depression in the, in the question. I was super anxious, but then I thought about destroying the Bible, and like I was like, whoa. And then I did it. Cool story. Yeah. Next week, I was super depressed about this thing. Then I thought about this guy I read this book about, and whoa. And then I did it. <laughs> And that's kind of, as, as, uh, as they say in the comic book industry, that's the illusion of change yep. without change. Now, yep. again, as, as Lee's pointing out, it's not fair for us to expect the, the pastor to be up there and be telling us every bit of their life, because that's not what sermon time for. Sermon time is to talk about us. But how do we gauge some results going on here? Man, that's a great question. Well, at the end of the day, of course, the results we really, really care about are the results in our own lives. That's, that's yep. the thing that really, really matters. I mean, if you're into fitness stuff, you're into exercise, you know, you might hire a coach, you might hire a personal trainer, and you don't do that so you guys can hang out and just talk shop about how great exercise is. That's weird. You can do that with your buddies. You, you hire that coach, you hire that personal trainer. So you get results, you get stronger, you can run faster, you lose weight more readily, whatever the thing is, whatever the goal is. But there's a goal. There's a thing we're trying to work on. There's a place we're trying to get to. That's why we've hired this person. I think you asked basically, how do I know if someone's a good person to follow? Are they yielding any results in your life? 
are you, as a result of their teaching and their shepherding and their leadership, are you getting stronger or not? If you hired a personal trainer to try and, I don't know, increase your, your bench press and three months later it's the same, it's time to fire that personal trainer and get somebody else. Doesn't mean he's not a nice dude and it doesn't mean he's not in great shape, but he's not doing anything for you. That's, that's the problem. We need, to, we need to let that guy go and bring in someone new. Does this person's pastoring lead you to be more weighed down in your life or more set free? Does it lead you to be stronger in your walk with the Lord or more unsure of where you stand in your walk with the Lord? Um, or does it do basically nothing and you're just kind of week to week, it's the illusion of change. You're pretty much in the same place that you always are. Um, we want to see results. We want to see fruit. We want to see actual forward progress. Now, here's a super duper bonus tip that will help with that a lot. One of the things that uh, I would really encourage you to do to get in the habit of praying through regularly, but also finding a mentor that you can talk to, uh, talk with about this is what's the number one thing in my life that's holding me back from being who God made me to be? What's the one thing? Not what are the dozen lifestyle sins that other Christians feel weird about, but what's the main one thing in my life today that's holding me back from being the person that God made me to be? Everybody's got something. It's usually not obvious, and it's usually not porn, just so we're all clear. Now, if we know what that thing is, and again, ideally you'd pray that up and you'd ask the Lord to guide you. You'd also have a mentor that you can talk to and get some wisdom about that. Now we really have a metric for evaluation. I'm looking to be fed. I'm looking to move forward on this specific struggle. Is this pastor helping with that? or not. Same thing. You hire a personal trainer. I'm hiring this trainer for a reason. There's a thing I'm trying to work on. He's either getting me closer to that goal or not. In my spiritual life, I have this struggle. Just as an example, I'm realizing I'm just not being honest with myself. I'm not being honest with myself. And on that basis, I'm not being honest with God. And on that basis, I'm not being honest with other people. I am, there's a a fundamental lack of honesty that's keeping me uh, from going deeper in my relationship with God and other people. And that, as I pray about it, as I talk to a mentor, that's the thing that's really, really holding me back. That's the thing that's getting after me. All right. Is that pastor exhibiting honesty in his own life? Is that pastor modeling that kind of honesty and that vulnerability? When that pastor preaches, is he helping to give me insight on why I struggle with that? Is he helping to give me insight on how I would, practically speaking, move forward on that struggle? If he's not, then he's actually really not helping. That's not to say that he's not doing something for somebody else. Again, the personal trainer that's not making you any stronger may be of great help to other people, but it's not a good fit for you. It's not producing the kind of fruit and the kind of results that you want to see in your life. So that's the thing to look at is to say, I would hire a personal trainer to get results. I should look to a pastor for the exact same thing. That is all really, really fantastic stuff. You have a question for us. Say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr. Dot com and tell the song this week. This is from this month's edition of Bridgebox, the ever reclusive and mysterious pool house guru with his Ooh. version of the Easter hymn Christ the Lord is risen today. I'll tell you that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that staff and management would like to stipulate that any and all 80s themed metal worship service should not feature spandex pants that are overly snug. <laughs> <laughs> Once he died, our souls to save. 